Um, today's scripture is coming from the Gospel of John. Uh, the first passage, passage will be uh, verses 4 through 11. Abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you abide, um, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Our second passage is from chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, and they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and that you have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that these also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these know you, that know that you have sent me. I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So with her permission, let me share a conversation I had with uh, Phyllis Thompson this week. Uh, we had coffee, and she was telling me about a recent visit she made to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, her hometown. You see, up until this year, when her mother Harriet moved from the longtime family home closer to here to be nearer to Phyllis, Phyllis always had a home to go to. She knew she could just show up and be accepted without having to any platitudes or negotiating schedules. Though she hasn't lived there for decades, it was still home for her. It was never inconvenient for Phyllis to show up at mom's house. She was always welcome. But on this recent trip, she acknowledged that sense of loss and grief of not having a home to return to. I think in many ways, Phyllis articulates much of our human longing for a place to call home. Now, not all of us experience, you know, a great home life in the past. But home is where everything fits. Home is where it's never inconvenient for you to be there the door is always open. We're loved, 
and we belong no matter what. Today we begin a new series entitled Abide, Cultivating Our Union in God, in Christ. And through this fall season, we're going to explore what it means to full, uh, ex explore this union, what it means to fully embrace this union in Christ. See, to abide means to dwell or to remain in. It conveys the sense of finding home in. Abiding in Christ is what God's people are created for. Abiding in Christ describes this relationship where we find ourselves to truly belong in God. In fact, many of our human desires and longings in life actually point to this longing for enjoying God as our home. You know, at our upcoming church retreat in two weeks, I'm looking forward to having our speaker, Jennifer Maxell Watley, lead us in creative ways to engage in home with God. So if you haven't registered yet, I encourage you, you can still do so. Go to wcfchurch.org retreat. We'd love to see you there and uh, see and, and have a, spend a night together at the Skycroft Conference Center. I hope you can make it. Now, in this opening message of this Abide series today, we're going to unpack how Scripture describes this imagery of abiding, of our union in Christ, and ultimately, this process of how we come to enjoy our home in God. And from this reading today that Alice led us through, we find that Jesus highlights a gift of abiding, the process of abiding, and the rewards of abiding, the gift, the process, and the rewards. Now, you may be listening along and you're saying, well, what is this union in Christ talk? Now, it's related, but we'll get to that in a moment. Unit, union in Christ is not the same as unity in Christ. Unity in Christ refers to our relationship with one another and our relationship with the world around us. But union in Christ describes this nature of our relationship with God, the relationship with Jesus. Now, some of you may be astute and you're reading your Bibles and you're saying, well, there's no word union in Christ in the Bible. I can't find it. What are you talking about, Andrew? Now, though the term and the phrase can't be found specifically in Scripture, its idea is conveyed throughout. In phrases like, in me, we find that 26 times in the Gospel of John alone. We find it multiple times in the passage that was just read for us. In Christ shows up 87 times in the New Testament. In God shows up 90, uh, 96, or in Him, 96 times in God, 22 times. And I have this fancy, you know, software that, but you don't need fancy software to do these charts. Just go and search on Bible Gateway and plug in in Christ, in Him, in God, and you'll get tons of scriptures and read through all those scriptures. The idea of our union in Christ is referred to much more than the idea of how much God loves us, how to be happy, how to live a good life, or how to be a good person. We find union in Christ is conveyed in other images other than this vine and branch image in John 15. We find in Colossians 1, Jesus is the head and we are the body. In uh, 1 Peter 2, Jesus is the cornerstone and we are the living stones built upon him. In Ephesians 5, in Revelations 19, Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride, as we sang in one of the songs today. In Galatians 2, we're told we are crucified in Christ. In Romans 6, we're told we're baptized into him. You know, where the Western and Protestant church uses this term union in Christ, the Eastern church, like 
uh, Eastern Orthodox, uh, Eastern Catholics or Orthodox traditions, they use a Greek term called theosis to describe all the ways that scripture reveals our human connection with Jesus and the ways to enjoy that connection with the living God. Union with Christ is the essence of the Christian faith. But that union doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen because we're good people. It doesn't happen because you're born at the right time in the right culture or because of whatever Christian tradition you follow. And union in Christ isn't just automatically, doesn't just automatically happen just because you're a human made in the image of God. Our union in Christ is a gift. It's through the initiative of the Holy Spirit reaching out to each one of us. And when we respond, union in Christ is what happens to God's people who respond to the Spirit and confess to God their faith in Christ. Union in Christ even shows up in this most popular quoted Bible verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in, in him shall not perish but have eternal life. To believe in him, in Jesus, is not just intellectual, like, yeah, I get it. I, I get what he does and what he does, so it makes sense. It's to make our home in him. It's to build our lives upon him using Jesus as the cornerstone, image of Jesus as the cornerstone. It's to stay connected to him using the image of Jesus as the vine. And in today's reading of John 15, Jesus uses the words abide or remain in other translations. He says, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. If my words abide in me and, and in you. These are all descriptions of union in and union with Jesus. Jesus is talking about how these things might be lived out. The word abide actually appears nine times in this chapter alone. When we respond to God's initiative through faith in Christ, we begin abiding. We begin to find our home in God. Abiding is the way we live out this union in Christ. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while, or you've been listening online, and you're not sure if you've intentionally taken this step to God's offer of union. It's also known in other languages, receiving the gift of salvation. And in today's text, it's the image of finding your home, yourself at home in relationship with God. Now, often this step that we take begins with a confession and a prayer, but it also is, is, includes the step of being baptized. And if you've never been baptized, I'd love to have a conversation with you and to pray with you about what that might look like or what God's doing in your life in inviting you to enjoy this abiding with God. Now, our abiding in Christ begins as a gift, as we've been learning so far. But we discover that abiding in Christ is also a process. It's both a one-time gift to remember to receive, but it's also a process to undergo. Now, many of us have probably moved from one home to another home at some point in our lives, right? And when you move into a new place, like we did from Vancouver to D.C., we got the keys to our new place. It was our house. When we walked in, it says, this is our house. But it was empty. Our furniture hadn't arrived. It was the paints, the, the walls were the colors that the previous owner chose. And so we had to, we, we wanted to paint some of the walls and Ashley picked the color for her own room. Julia wanted to change a few light fixtures. And we had to wait for our furniture to arrive. But even when our furniture arrived, it didn't quite fit. So we had to you know, move things and, and put new artwork up. And it's then, after you've lived in it a while, you really begin to abide. 
it becomes home that when you walk in the door, you recognize the smell. It's like, ah, I'm home now, right? In John 15, verse 9, Jesus describes this process of abiding. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know, when we abide in Christ, we discover something, that God, in fact, is the architect for a true home. God, the Father, is the one who has the vision for what true home might look like for us. Jesus himself is the blueprint for how our lives become God's home. And as we consent, because God never does anything that we don't want to do, the Spirit of God is like the contractor who comes in and begins ripping some things out and putting new things in and makes, makes the home more beautiful. In these verses, Jesus describes a crucial part of building this home with him, and that's something called obedience. The implication of Jesus' statement, if you obey my commands, is that we often don't obey Jesus' commands, right? We're predisposed against it, in fact. That's what sin does. That's what sin is. Sin makes us want to call all the shots in our lives. Sin says, you know what, I think I know better than you, God. But it's through abiding in Christ that we begin this process of reorienting our twisted frameworks, our ways of seeing ourselves, and our ways of moving about in the world around us. Abiding is what the Protestant Christians have traditionally referred to as the process of sanctification. Another term would be mortification, which literally means to put to death sin within ourselves. Our Eastern church friends connect this process with their understanding of theosis, that Greek word that I mentioned earlier, drawing from texts like Psalm 82, where the psalmist says, I said, this is God saying to the psalmist, you are gods, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Theosis describes how human beings uh, have real union with God and so become like God to such a degree that we actually participate in the divine nature of God. Uh, uh, early church father, St. Athanasius, says this about Jesus, the incarnate God. God became man so that men, humans, men and women, might become gods. God became man so that humans could become gods. Uh, and father Hest, uh, Daniel Hester says this about uh, this process of sanctification and theosis in his booklet, The Jesus Prayer. It says, The gradual process by which a person is renewed and unified so completely with God, union with God, that he becomes, he or she becomes by grace what God is by nature. God does this so that we become who God is by nature. In other words, abiding in Christ is this process that each person who abides in Christ actually becomes more Christ-like. And we're going to unpack what all this looks like in the coming weeks. Now, going back to John, uh, John chapter 15, verse 10, you know, as we go through an ancient text like the Scriptures, we find that it takes some work to figure out what commands we're supposed to follow, right? You can't just say, well, I just focus on Jesus' words. That's all I need to rely on. There's some commandments that are clear and unchanging, like the moral commands of the Ten Commandments. Those don't change throughout Scripture. But there's other commands like 
food laws and livestock and hygiene and uh, calendars and feasts. And those all have to do with cleanness and purity in temple worship in the Old Testament. But those commands no longer hold the same weight as they do now in light of Jesus' incarnation and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, but there's some commands in the New Testament that are also situational, particularly in the writings of St. Paul. And it takes communal discernment to figure out how to live those commands out. When Jesus invites us to abide and obey, are all of God's commandments found in Scripture equally applicable in all times? Do we just run through a checklist going through Scripture, saying God commands this, God commands this, God commands this, so we've got to follow every single one of them? This seems like kind of soul-sucking, doesn't it, and overwhelming. You see, being at home in God does involve obeying God's command. But if our focus is only on obeying the commands without abiding with God, then the obedience simply becomes this lifeless and self-righteous exercise. Without abiding in Christ, we soon find ourselves rationalizing why God's commands don't apply to us. All of it flows out of a relationship with God. Now, put it another way, instead of focusing on the commands, when we're truly at, use this image of finding home, when we're truly at home with God, it's much like our, us being at home in our physical homes. When we're at home, we find ourselves to be less anxious, less fearful. In relationship to God, we find that our shame and our trauma, they hold less and less power over us as we abide in God. Rather, the peace of God begins to undergird our life in all situations. When we abide with God, we find ourselves less self-conscious, less self-righteous. In fact, we think of ourselves less. Abiding with God means that we find ourselves more acutely aware of our sinfulness, yet we are not overwhelmed by it. When we abide with God, we are become more generous with our time and our resources. We find joy in serving God and in serving others. We look forward, when we abide with God, to spending time in community with other Jesus followers. We find that the time, we find we look forward to time in God's word and in prayer. These are all results of finding our home in God. So abiding in Christ is this process by which we experience change in all these areas of our lives. And over the next few months, and maybe even the next couple of years, we're going to explore all these practices that help nurture our abiding in God. Abiding in God isn't just a spiritual state. It's not static. It's not just an intellectual process. It's revealed in our everyday choices and actions. And there are things that we can do to nurture this relationship and experience all that God has for each one of us. So, so far, abiding in Christ is a gift. Abiding in Christ is a process. And lastly, abiding in Christ also brings great rewards. Now, when we build a physical home, we enjoy the rewards of memories made there, of projects accomplished, and relationships enjoyed in that home, and perhaps even property value increases, right? Similarly, Jesus points out some rewards of abiding in him in chapter 15 and uh, 17. Last Sunday, Rebecca courageously shared uh, about her own difficulties of praying Psalm 139 in light of experiencing her miscarriage and her own personal health challenges. 
You know, I think all of us can probably identify with what Rebecca shared, where we're asking God for something in prayer, and we're still wondering if God's ever going to make good on it. Nod your head if that's you. But take a look at John chapter 15, verse 7. What does Jesus say? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you? How many of you would like a little more of that in your lives? It's not just God will answer your best prayers or your most eloquent ones or your most sincere ones. 100% answered prayers. That's what Jesus is saying. How do we get that? The condition is abiding in Christ and allowing his words to abide in you. Remain in Christ. Obey his commands. And you'll begin to experience a guaranteed prayer life. Why? It's not, because, it's not like God becomes this instant, ja- you get, the, the, you get the, uh, the, the cure for instant jackpot. That Oh, okay, once I abide in Christ, every single mach- slot, uh, coin I put in the slot machine results in a jackpot. It's because when we abide in Christ, we find that what we begin to long for, what we begin to ask for, what we desire is really what God wants for us. We ask because we are one with Christ. And so that's reward number one of abiding. Guaranteed answered prayers. What's the number two reward? Take a look at verse 11. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Reward number two is guaranteed joy. True joy is the reward of abiding in Christ. And the Christian idea of joy is not just happiness. Eminent Christian thinker C.S. Lewis says this about joy. Joy bursts in our lives when we go about doing the good at hand and not trying to manipulate things and times to achieve joy. See, Lewis says eloquently that joy is never found when we go and try and make it happen. It's simply the result and the reward of focusing on what's most important in our lives. You see, the world around us tells us that it's vitally important to discover your authentic self, to choose the right career path, to define the right partner, and to own certain possessions, then you will be happy. Happiness is the result of what you do. But in God's kingdom, what we think is happiness is just a mere shadow of true joy that we can experience when we abide in Christ. Here, Jesus is saying true and complete joy is the result of abiding in him. In John 17, 20 and 21a, Jesus points out a third reward of abiding, and that's unity. Verse 21, the first part of it, I ask, he says that in verse 20, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us. Verse 23, the beginning, I in them, you and me, union, that they may be completely one. You know, we've been going through the discernment process of LGBTQ inclusion here at WCF. We've discovered it's very challenging to find unity around convictions and beliefs about gender and sexuality. But we found, as we went through the process, that our unity is not based on our beliefs and convictions about that. It can't be. Because sexuality and gender won't be the only challenging issues facing us. What about our views on politics? on education, 
on abortion access, on reparations, on climate change. If we were to parse out every single issue that we need to find unity on, we'd find ourselves all worshiping in a church of the unholy trinity that I've used, the church of me, myself, and I. Jesus points out that true unity is the result of Jesus' followers enjoying their union in Christ. Unity amongst Jesus' followers begins with our union in Christ. Unity flows out of our union in Christ, who is one with the Father. And this leads us to the fourth reward of abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ and the unity that results is not just for us to feel good about ourselves and feel like, whoa, great kumbaya, look at my wonderful sisters and brothers. Our unity exists for the world, for the benefit of others. Take a look at the second half of 21 and 23. That they may all be one as you, Father, and are me and I am in you. They may also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23, last half. So that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, our union in Christ brings us great rewards. Rewards of guaranteed prayer, guaranteed joy, and unity. But in our selfishness, what we often do is we take these good things and say, it's only for me to enjoy. And we twist them for ourselves. Our union in Christ is for the sake of others. Reward number four is not just for us to enjoy. Now, so putting all this together, abiding in Christ is about receiving this gift of home in God. Abiding in Christ is this process of change that happens in our lives as we become more like Jesus. And abiding in Christ brings great rewards, not just for us, but for the world around us. So as we move forward in this coming season as a church, what we're talking about here is the business of spiritual formation. Abiding in Christ is spiritual formation. Abiding in Christ is this process of uh, becoming formed in the image of Christ that results in the benefit of others. We are shaped by God towards wholeness and fullness as a community. See, we don't form ourselves. We don't build our own lives and build our own homes and invite God in to make it look Instagram-worthy. We're not going, yo, Jesus, I'm going to collab with you to increase the subs on my channel, right? Abiding in Christ is a process in which we spiritually are formed by God. But here's the reality, including myself. We're all reluctant to fully abide in Christ, right? It goes against our instincts, apart from God's gracious work in our lives. That's why we need help from God and from one another. And that's what we're going to do together in these coming weeks. Let me conclude with this poem, this wonderful poem that I found from uh, Margaret Halaska entitled Covenant. And you can close your eyes or you can, uh, I put the QR code in case you want to take a picture of it and uh, reflect on it for yourself. But just for the moment now, open your eyes, close your eyes, whatever is comfortable for you. May this poem be your prayer. God knocks at my door, seeking a home for his son. Rent is cheap, I say. I don't want to rent. I want to buy, says God. I'm not sure I want to sell, but you might come in and look around. I think I will, says God. I might let you have a room or two. I like it, says God. I'll take the two. You might decide to give me more someday. I can wait, says God. 
I'd like to give you more, but it's a bit difficult. I need some space for me. I know, says God, but I'll wait. I like what I see. Hmm. Maybe I can let you have another room. I really don't need that much. Thanks, says God. I'll take it. I like what I see. I'd like to give you the whole house, but I'm not sure. Think on it, says God. I wouldn't put you out. Your house would be mine. My son would live in it. But you'd have more space than you'd ever had before. I don't understand at all. I know, says God. But I can't tell you about that. You'll have to discover it for yourself. That can only happen if you let me have the whole house. A bit risky, I say. Yes, says God. But try me. I'm not sure. I'll let you know. I can wait, says God. I like what I see.